This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's a place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, here we are, folks. Welcome aboard to one more visit with Core Brain Journal. And as you know here, we're really interested in bringing the bench down to the trench. We want to really get the neuroscience experts, and we have a, a, a noteworthy, nationally known neuroscience expert with us today who happens to be an old pal of mine. I'm really happy to introduce him to you, Dr. Robert Hedaya. And uh, Bob is going to tell us about what he's into and what he's interested in. I'm going to do a brief introduction, and then we're going to really get down to who Bob is as a person, what he thinks we need to do to, to really grow our understanding of mind science down to the grassroots, down to the public. So I'm going to read this, but here it is. It's a lot. Dr. Day has managed an active private clinical practice while also teaching at Georgetown University Medical School, where he is a clinical professor of psychiatry. He's been a consultant to the National Institutes of Mental Health, and was selected to teach the first psychoendocrinology course at Georgetown University Medical Center, the Department of Psychiatry. He is invited to present and teach at medical professional conferences worldwide. He also, this is an important point, folks, stay with this point. He also conducts no-cost monthly workshops by phone for both medical and mental health professionals and lay people nationwide. Bob is on the same path we all are here. Dr. Day has been featured as an expert consultant numerous times, including television appearances on The Today Show, Fox, CBS Evening News 2020, MSNBC, and CNN. And these are some of the books that he's written. We're going to go speak very briefly about it, but he's received the Physician's Recognition Award from the American Medical Association, Outstanding Teacher of the Year multiple times by the Georgetown University Medical Center, Department of Psychiatry. One of the ways I first met Bob was we were at a conference together and we had a great Italian dinner together. It was a, a really a, a special evening. That was many, many years ago. Bob and I were just talking about it uh, offline before we started here. So his first book in 96 was Understanding Biological Psychiatry. So he was an innovative thought leader early on. Then the Antidepressant Survival Program came up in 2000, and his third book, Advancing the Treatment Paradigm 2008 with the Institute for Functional Medicine, where he is a member and works over there with Dr. Mark Hyman, who many of you know. He's a teacher over there as well. So with that, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to talking to you. Now, it, hey, Bob, it's interesting because I'm not getting your voice in here. So let's see, because you were there a minute ago. Some, Is that better? Yeah, now I can hear you. Okay, I'll take. I took the mic out. Okay, good. So the the issue would be get let us in a little bit, uh, Bob, to what you're doing right now. That's the background. What's your personal life like right now? Your practice, things you're interested in. Well, so what I'm doing now is uh, doing a lot of work as a medical detective. Um, I'm taking people on who uh, have medical problems that they they can't solve. Uh, and uh, trying to spend several hours with them, review their records, and, and get under the hood, really, to figure it out. So, for example, I had a, a patient who came in who had a, a complement uh, disorder, 
uh, and she came in and she was having anaphylactic episodes. Now stop right there. Our yeah. audience doesn't know what a compliment disorder is. Okay, well I'll tell you what. Okay. <laughs> Take a moment. Uh, so, so basically this is a, a patient that I had several years ago who had uh, a manic depressive disorder and I treated her and she did very well. And then she came back to me because she was breaking out in hives and she was having to have EpiPens. She was, you know, in case she had uh, anaphylactic shock and couldn't breathe. And, and so she's having these episodes constantly turning red, having hives all over her body and couldn't really figure out what was going on and pretty much terrified her and took her out of school. She wasn't able to uh, continue in college, had to move back home. And um, so we sat down for about four hours and I went through the history with her and uh, turns out that uh, she had a, a disorder of the immune system in which um, there was an overreaction, uh, well, let's say a reaction to some kind of a infection, right? But her body was unable to turn off the reaction. Very good. That was a genetic problem of which I uncovered. Um, so basically what really turned out is pretty simple. is She had this genetic disorder, but it, it never really caused a problem. Then she got Lyme disease. Uh, and then when she got the Lyme disease, it unmasked this genetic problem. Now, the, when she came to me, uh, she didn't know she had Lyme disease and she didn't know she had the genetic disorder. So we, we sorted through the medical mystery, calmed down the Lyme disease, treated it and uh, things settled down not only because we treated the Lyme disease but also just knowing psychologically what what was going on she no longer felt out of control and so that's a medical uh, I'm a medical detective that is so interesting Bob you know now that you brought up Lyme disease and I know we're going to be talking about inflammation because it's both of us are very interested in inflammation and I really want to tap your brain a little bit while we're here because it's going to be good for all of us to learn some of these innovative new insights that you have. But I'm curious about, since you talked about Lyme disease, about your thoughts about biofilm and uh, colony formation as it relates to not only Lyme but Candida. I'm, I'm diving kind of deep right now, but since you brought up this very interesting case, I thought it'd be fun to, to hear your thoughts about it. Well, I won't say that I'm an expert on biofilm. I mean, I know, um, you know, biofilms, we, we, we have biofilms all, all, that's part of life, right? Mm -hmm. We exist yes. biofilms and bacteria obviously use these slimy environments to <laughs> stay alive and evade our, our antibiotics and our immune system attacks on them and it's very effective. But it is, you know, part of life. Now, how do you dissolve biofilms and get the antibiotics in there and all the nutrients or whatever it is you need to get in there well if I if I knew that then I would probably have a Nobel Prize <laughs> so yeah I don't know the things that I've learned about is you know that xylitol can be effective in dissolving biofilms mm -hmm. uh, just read something actually it's funny you brought it up but that copper itself can also uh, dissolve biofilms but you know that's that, that's just anecdotal I, I don't know if they'll hold up or anything like that yeah it's, it's very interesting and I know it's controversy sorry to put you on the spot a little bit with that because I've been reading about it myself and I'm I know very little about it but I'm interested because uh, because I've been following it a little bit and see it's so relevant to people who come back with the IgGs that are off the mark and major candida 
mm-hmm. and we then try to attack the biofilm. Uh, just for the listeners who don't know what happens, these bugs actually talk to each other, and they actually, it's called quorum sensing. So what happens, they, they start talking to each other, and there's a great TED Talk about this, by the way. And, mm-hmm. and what happens, these quorums, these guys are talking, and then they form a colony, and then they put up, in the old days, Bob, you and I are old enough to remember the Pepsodent ads, the knock-knock invisible plastic shield. You know, this is what Pepsodent does. (laughs) And so the biofilm does that. So, well, I won't belabor that more, but let's get over into the subject of uh, the whole thing of how you got into this new way of thinking about psychiatry back all the way back in 1985 is when you, when you, we started with this. That's right, that's right. I went into practice in 83 and uh, was doing, you know, standard uh, psychiatry at the time was, and the cutting edge was at the time was cognitive behavioral therapy and psychopharmacology and that's what I was doing and then I had a woman come in with panic disorder and uh, I treated her with all the standard stuff. I mean, first I tried cognitive behavioral therapy and that didn't work and so I tried amipramine and that didn't work and then I tried uh, Xanax, uh, which I thought for sure would work and uh, that didn't work and, you know, one thing after another and then a year into her treatment, she paged me. That's Those are the days when we had beepers. <laughs> yeah. We thought those were pretty cool. Yeah, right. And, uh, and uh, she paged me. I was at a wedding. I was dancing and my beeper went off. <laughs> And I said, well, I got a check, and it was Joanne. And so, uh, so I uh, called her, and she said she was in the middle of a panic attack. And I was thinking, like, wow, what's going on? She should have been better a long time ago. So I went into the office early Monday morning to look at her chart. And uh, I noticed, you know, I had done a, a complete blood count and a chemistry, and I noticed on her complete blood count that the size of her red blood cells was a little bit large. Uh, very slight. The, the range is 80 to 100. It was 101. Uh, but I learned in my training to ignore that because it was just not that far out of the range and who knew what it meant anyway. <laughs> you, know, you know, and I was glad oh, yeah. to, All right, that's how I was trained. Yeah. And uh, so uh, anyway, I did a little research and saw that it meant she could have a B12 uh, deficiency. So I did a Schilling's test, which is no longer available as you know, and she had a B12 deficiency. I gave her B12 injection, and with the first injection, her panic disorder was gone. So Amazing. I was blown away, and mm-hmm. I, I realized at that point that the head is connected to the body by this thing called the neck. <laughs> and, <laughs> I love it. Mom, I say that all the time. Right. I mean, it's so much fun. The last time I checked, the mind was connected to the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's remarkable. So, you know, I, I guess we both missed that lecture, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> that lecture never happened. It didn't happen. So anyway, that kind of opened the door. And then, then in uh, probably after my first book, I actually was on the edge of chronic fatigue. And, uh, and that kind of... Uh, freaked me out a little bit and so I started digging deeper to see what I could do and learning about it and one thing led to another and I treated myself and recovered quickly and fully and uh, got involved in functional medicine and that was in probably 97 Uh, and that to me was just uh, I don't know, like going home, it was made complete sense, it's systems medicine, 
It made sense in terms of personalized medicine. Everybody's extremely unique beyond what we can even conceive of. Um, understanding that, you know, everything is affected by everything and really trying to grab hold of this mass of information and, and you know, not not looking at things through a very, very narrow lens, realizing yep. you need many tools. And so anyway, I delved into that, and it was a little bit overwhelming at first, but uh, after about three years, I, I had really felt that I mastered it and started treating people, and uh, my motto became better health, less medicine. That's interesting, you know, because... I'm, I'm, while you're talking, I'm remembering being at a meeting uh, back when I was doing brain scans up in D.C., and I was still more on the traditional side, but one of the reasons I wanted to work with Eamon is because he was really looking at functionality, at brain functionality, and there was some evidence associated with it. And I went to a meeting up there uh, and uh, down at, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, right there in Reston, and uh, so the, they... The guy next to me, I'm like nodding my head because it was one of the first functional medicine meetings I had been to. It was before I had actually gone to the uh, Institute of Functional Medicine. And uh, I'm rolling my eyes a little bit, trying not to roll my eyes because I want to look like I know what I'm doing, you know. And he says, I, we, had, we had talked, he says, hey, Parker, you know, you look like you're not quite with it. I said, no, this is completely over my head. I don't get it. He says, listen, it'll be that way for about three years. That's right. <laughs> and then, and then right. somewhere it will dawn on you that this is the way it is. You know, when I used to listen to these uh, tapes by uh, Jeff Bland yeah. in the car, and I'd, I'd have to pull over to the side of the road every five minutes to make a note about this patient or that patient, and it was, it was overwhelming. But by the time I got trained, um, you know, it, it, was, it was all there, and it just came together with the training. Well, I think it was really good, Bob. Also, you mentioned in our notes in previous talking that you really decided to go ahead and, and, and get a scorecard for yourself and see what's going on. And you actually measured depression. And you said, okay, I'm gonna, how much is really helping? What I'm doing, is it good? Is it indifferent? And you did the Beck Depression Inventory on a series of people. Could you tell us about yeah. that? Yeah, well, what I did is I, I looked, I did a retrospective analysis of 100 patients uh, that I had used functional medicine approach. Uh, they all had depression, and they. My practice was such that they were all treatment-resistant depression, meaning they'd been through multiple meds. They were on medication when they came to me. Things weren't working, and they were all moderately to severely depressed. And the average Beck depression inventory, which should be under 10, is normal. They were the average for all 100 was uh, 34. Mm, mm. I treated them with, with my method, you know, the functional medicine, I call it whole psychiatry method, uh, and by 10 months, they were all, except for one patient under 10, with no medication changes, except for one patient who I added, I put on lithium. So with the functional medicine method, they all uh, normalized. Mm. And that's powerful, you know, and actually I should really write it up. I didn't write it up, but I should do that now. I just found a good writer, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it would be a good thing because it's funny to move the, move the needle forward. People mm -hmm. look at what, what are the stats? What did you do? I think people really are looking for answers, uh, especially from a person like yourself who's had so much experience. You know, what does, what does Dr. Hidea do when he sees something like this? What are the three things he thinks about right off of the bat? How, what does he, 
what's the first thing that comes to his mind, second and third, you know, and then how does he break that down over time? You know, one of the things that happens is chronic illness takes chronic fixing. It just You just can't come in there, and a lot of people are so used to feeling a little bit better with a couple of meds, and they get disappointed by the fact that these things take time, six months, a year, maybe two years, to actually turn the whole situation around. What well, are your thoughts on that? My, my feeling is this, that once you have worked out the program, you've evaluated the person, you've gotten your lab data, you know what's going on, and you implement the program. Once you're implementing the program, if people follow it, and that's the big if here, mm -hmm. because we have most of the information we need to deal with chronic illness. Right? We have most of the information. Um, the big if is, will people do what they need to do? But if they do what they do, they need to do. In that series, uh, uh, you know, it was 10 months, they all returned to normal. And, and the, you know, I'll tell you another case with a, a guy who was 18 years old with OCD. He came into my office with a contracture of one of his fingers, so he couldn't straighten his finger because he was afraid for two years that if he straightened his finger out, something bad would happen. So he had this severe OCD. So, long story short, I evaluated him, and he had five different infections. Really? Now, five. Now, as you know, infections change the brain chemistry. So, I treated his infections, and with that treatment plus some basic behavioral therapy, in three, three months, he was normal, and he went to college. No meds. That's amazing, Bob. That's fantastic. Did yeah. you, now, this is, a, this is a tough question. Do you remember some of those infections? Yeah, well, I remember some of them. One was a chronic salmonella. One was a candida. Uh, that's enough that's, right there. That's, that's, that's it. That's true, but he had three. <laughs> <laughs> I think he had a chronic sinus infection, uh, and I don't remember. Some the other, other, like, really overt bacterial yeah. thing going on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's amazing because we see that all the time. My, my favorite question, Bob, you'll get a kick out of this. I know it's probably your favorite question, too. You and I haven't been so personal as to talk about this, but as I work through, I'm still doing traditional psychiatry. I'm kind of over in that club, looking mm -hmm. at being in the middle of the of, of the club between traditional and comprehend, uh, doing the comprehensive thing. Uh, so I ask the question after we get the initial thing, you know, how many times a day do you go number two? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I get so much mileage, and of course I document it with the Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Clinic's written so much about transit time. Right. And, and I, you know, and we we get that transit time on there, and it's like, oh my gosh, I do have a problem. It's as simple right. as that. Right, right. It's uh, well, you know, I actually I just gave a talk at the National uh, uh, Chiropractic Leadership Conference in D.C. here uh, last Friday, and uh, one of the questions I went through the whole functional medicine uh, matrix with digestion and immune function and detox and nutrition and hormones and genetics and epigenetics. So somebody said to me, well, if, if you had to pick one of those systems, where would you start? And of course, that's difficult. But really, what I have to come down to is, is the gut. Yeah. Because every meal is an antigenic holocaust. <laughs> I love that. I haven't heard that before. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, so every true. Meal, every meal. But we're prepared. If we're healthy, we're prepared to deal with it. If we're not healthy, it really creates tremendous inflammation and, and downstream consequences. That is amazing. I mean, we're definitely on the same path. Well, I'm also interested, Bob, and I want to make sure 
we get in a little conversation about some of these new things that you're interested in. I mean, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. You've been involved with a number of really, not only as a person being educated, but you, you're training some of the thought leaders in the country on a regular basis. What are you doing now with your time? What's your next project that you're involved with that you think could be a contribution to, the, to uh, science and the science of mind? Well, it's uh, a great question. So I, I'm, uh, I'm actually now looking at turning my sights towards dementia. Mm -hmm. um, I had a case uh, where uh, there's a woman who had a, a mini mental status exam test I did on her. Was her, she was 14? For now, for your listeners who don't know, the normal is a 30. So if you're a reasonable, reasonably functioning human being. Uh, and we test you on this very simple test, you should score 30. Uh, she was about 65 and she scored 14 and she would get dressed and put her bra on over her shirt and think nothing of it. Uh, so that could kind of tell you how bad things were. Mm. So I treated her with uh, you know, this paradigm, this functional medicine paradigm. And uh, after I would say it was about five months, her mini mental status exam uh, increased to 28. So she's just shy of normal. And oh uh, it's remarkable. And, and I have come to believe that in mild and moderate dementia of the Alzheimer's type, I don't know about whether frontotemporal dementia or other types of dementias will respond. Or, uh, but I have come to believe that a significant portion of, of people who uh, have early, or say mild cognitive uh, deficits or, uh, or early Alzheimer's or moderate Alzheimer's that they can actually, if they have a, somebody who will help them implement the program, that they can actually be, uh, that can be reversed, certainly stabilized and many people can return to full function. In fact, there was a case series that just was published in Aging, uh, the journal Aging by Bredesen and um, out of the Cleveland Clinic and he documented 10 cases uh, where he had reversal, well nine out of the 10 had reversal, uh, significant reversal uh, with this methodology. So that's really where I'm turning my focus to uh, mm. preventing and doing some reversal of, of dementia. That's so interesting. I hope you write about it. I'm looking forward to that book because that I'm, writing, I'm actually writing a case study now and uh, talking about uh, thinking seriously about writing a book. So that'd be great. If you when it's published, please let me know. We'll put that on on the show notes and, and we'll make sure that our listeners get a chance to have some access to it. As you were speaking, I was thinking about asking you the question. Of course, we know that. Um, uh, the Alzheimer's type of dementia, we don't know about it, but it's all the directions going into inflammation. How does inflammation play out with traumatic brain injury and those guys that are coming back from the Middle East and, and actually, I mean, not just those guys, but uh, people who experience a traumatic brain event? What, what are the implications for inflammation with that, Bob? Well, I mean, you know, the, the data, I mean, there's so much that isn't known with that, but I mean, the data is that there are changes in all, all the neurochemicals, really, and you have glutamate excitotoxicity, mm -hmm. um, you have changes in microglial function, um, you have changes in the neuronal networks, uh, the meninges can be involved, changes in blood flow, 
uh, in the meninges, um, uh, you know, all of these metabolic changes. So, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, and that could be mild or that could be severe. It's, uh, uh, and that, that can unmask other, other uh, illnesses that people have. There's now, I have a patient who has a mast cell activation disorder. Oh, and, that's, yeah. You know, and that's, that's becoming a big deal these days. And the, the TBI, the traumatic brain injury, unmasked her, her mast cell disorder. That mast cell is so interesting. You know, um, one of the interesting things that, that, uh, that I've been seeing, uh, apropos of that point, uh, but is, is the fact that uh, we, so much of the brain deterioration and brain fog is related to just straight candida. You right. know, it's, it's amazing because you can have a non-chronic, a relatively non-chronic person mm-hmm. with a deterioration that's just flaming with candida and has been that way for a long period of time. Right. And, uh, and, and it's, I, so it's what are a, the tests on your Alzheimer folks, on the people that are really chronic? What, what's kind of your main go-to test that you want to start with, one or two, that you think would be important for listeners to consider? Well, I mean... You know, I mean, obviously, first you have to make the diagnosis, and you can't really know if it's Alzheimer's. You could do a genetic test, the APOE testing. But um, I, I, I really think you need to, as a clinician, you need to, or if you're a patient, you're going to a doctor, you're taking your spouse to a doctor, somebody needs to sit down for a good, at least, at least an hour and a half. I mean, I spend about four hours with my patients the first time, but at least an hour and a half, and think through this these these different systems that I mentioned uh, uh, on, the, on this functional medicine matrix, and try and identify where are the symptoms. And then, when you have identified which are the main nodes or the main sim- systems that are involved, then you decide which test to go to. So. You're certainly always going to need a nutritional, thorough nutritional battery, for sure. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, you're going to need to look at the GI tract, and and you're also going to need to look at the hormones. You know, mm-hmm. the thyroid, the adrenal, the melatonin. You know, uh, you know, insulin, uh, very important uh, in dementia. Um, so you, you you've got to look at all that. Um, inflammation, you know, cuts across disorders. I actually. Um, developed a product uh, about four years ago for inflammation after I, you know, it seems like, it seems like my own health problems just keep, <laughs> they, they keep you plugging along. They make you look at the books, buddy. <laughs> they really do. I tell you, you know, I, I had a biking accident, you know, I'm a mountain biker and uh, I, I injured myself I had a sudden severe searing sciatica. You know, I was, I was in the park, Rock Creek Park in D.C., and a, a car came behind me. I had to hit the pedal fast, and and it was a knife in my in my back. And anyway, I didn't get better, uh, and so all the standard stuff uh, was pretty much useless. And uh, so I put on my functional medicine hat, and I said, ah. It must be inflammation. It's got to be inflammation. It's a chronic illness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I started to test different herbs on myself. And uh, ultimately, after a number of trials, I came up with a formula that in two days had me better. Literally two days. So I thought, well, it can't be this. It's got to be I'm better. That's all. I'm just better. 
So I stopped it, and then of course I got, you know, came back. The pain came back. So it did off on, off on, and then I was like convinced that this formula was really effective. So then I thought, well, the raw materials must be uh, doctored. You know, they must be something contaminated, or they must be putting some kind of drug in these things. You know, because it's too effective. It worked too well. So I sent it to a lab to get it tested. It came out clean. And so I started to uh, give it to patients and family and, you know, patients wanted it for their mother and father, et cetera. So now, now I, I market it. Uh, somebody tried it. They loved it. They invested in the company. And so now we, we market that. So let's talk about that a little bit. What's the name of that product, Bob? It's called uh, Rejoint. It's D-R, like Dr. H, Rejoint, like because it, uh, you know, it helps uh, – your, renew your joints. So we call it rejoint. That's great. We're going to uh, we'll put that on the show notes so people can pop right in and go over to the website and take a look at it. Yeah. You know, I'm 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 going to work with you on that too. By the way, I looked at the website and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to get hooked up with Bob on this because we see so many people who are suffering from chronic fatigue well, and and the kinds of things that you're talking about that are indications for it that. It helps, and uh, it's not good for everybody. Nobody's right. making any big claims about it. Right. But look, it's better than what doesn't work. <laughs> right. No, no, you know, it works. You know, just being frank, it works. We have a 70% reorder rate, so that pretty much tells me it's working in about 70% mm-hmm. of people, and so it's not for everybody. Uh, it's for people who have chronic pain, arthritis. Uh, I, I could go on and on about the stories about this stuff, uh, but uh, you know, it's uh, if you're having chronic pain or joint problems, or, or you know, we've had great success with with Lyme flares. People have Herxheimer reactions with Lyme. People mm-hmm. take it during their flare because it it basically blocks, uh, if you know, TNF alpha, which is a really primary molecule and NF-kappa B, which is a grand central station molecule of, of inflammation. So, and then it also has, normalizes eight other pathways. So, is, instead of taking, say, Advil, which works on the COX enzyme, or, uh, you know, say, codeine, which works on an opiate receptor, uh, this hack actually works at parallel pathways and and as herbs do it normalizes things it doesn't suppress things so anyway we love it well we're looking forward to it and i just want to clarify for people who are listening because some people don't know what a herxheimer reaction is and uh really it's it's when he's when uh, dr hedaya said it was a flare you can have a herxheimer reaction from a number of different things you can have a herxheimer reaction from losing weight i've seen people right deteriorate dramatically psychologically losing a lot of weight because it just lets those toxins come into the system you want to say a little more about the Herxheimer reaction yeah yeah, the best you know I just thought of this but I think this is the best description of a Herxheimer reaction is how you feel when you get the flu Uh uh-huh you know you feel feverish achy you don't want to do anything you feel like somebody just beat you up with a rubber hose every (laughs) inch of your body hurts you know your joints hurt uh, you can't. You don't even want to move. That's the way it hurts. It's not a cold. It's it's a flu. If you've had yeah. the flu, well that's said. What time is like. Well said. Thanks for sharing that. That's a good point. Yeah, we've seen them go so bad they can all of a sudden have a bad case of diarrhea. They can get vomit. They can have. That's if you're killing the bugs too fast. Are right. right. uh, you know uh, what am I trying to say? Actually, 
um, identifying the problem and doing something about it mobilizes the toxins that were either in the bugs or in the body fat, and and you can feel it uh, dramatically throughout your body. Yeah, it's the uh, the the lipopolysaccharide is the envelope of the bacteria, and the lipopolysaccharide envelope uh, actually increases the body's release of chemicals, these these molecules, the the cytokines that cause inflammation. So your whole body becomes inflamed as a normal, really you know, a healthy response to trying to get rid of all these toxins like you were saying. Well, and as you were saying, Bob, I think that people don't know what a cytokine is. A cytokine can actually compete at the receptor site for the neurotransmitters. So, right. you know, you can have a be feeling pretty well, but if your serotonin isn't hitting its receptor site effectively, because cytokines are parading around on the receptor site, you can feel like dirt all of a sudden right. when nothing else has happened. And right, right. So it's a, it's a pretty, not pretty, it's extremely interesting to me because we just see it all the time with treatment failure, and that's what we're, we're with you on that, Bob. We have a lot of, it's, it's actually fun because you see people getting better that right. previously have bounced around with whatever, have decades of this or that with symptoms, you know, I'll, I'll tell you the one thing, you get a kick out of this because I've been back to the, the poop and the gut thing. Uh, so I'm asking the number two question. A guy comes in and he's a, he's a very macho hot dog uh, project manager, guy's guy. So I ask him the number two question in the initial interview. He says, I, I go every day. I've gone every day since I was a kid. So I said, well, I'll give him some meds. We covered some issues. And I said, look, you've got something else going on here. He said, no, no. Bottom line, his wife was going to get divorced because he was losing it, and I was giving him good psychiatric medications. He was losing it. I said, let me go over this one more time. I think you really, number two, how many times a day do you go number two? He says, Parker, I think you're anally fixated. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I said, well, humor me. Can you afford 69 cents? This is not complicated. So we do we do corn. We just have corn. Uh-huh. Eat the corn, look at your watch, and see how long it takes to hit the toilet. Uh-huh. So he comes back, and he's back in two weeks for a med check, and he says, I hate to tell you, you were right. I said, well, how right was I? He said, I ate the corn on Friday. It didn't come through for 10 days. Whoa. <laughs> End of conversation. Whoa. <laughs> or the beginning of another conversation. Yeah, yeah. So wow. it's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's fun using stuff like that. So, well, listen, Bob, I want to really thank you for taking the time. We're going to be doing this again with your permission. We, you know, Your input is valuable. I'd like to sometime in the future talk more about Rejoint and your experience there and see what some other applications for it because it sounds very interesting. The thing that occurs to me as you were talking uh, would be would that Rejoint, because it is anti-inflammatory, how that would work with some of these other conditions that are mind conditions that have a an inflammatory um, ideology they, they they come from an inflammatory source right It'd be interesting well, yeah so, now, well you know I'll, I'll say this we had we've had a couple of people uh, report to us that they've had changes in mood but I can't say to you hey you've got a depression take region <laughs> yeah, right. because one of them got a better mood and one of them felt worse <laughs> yeah so then that's a whole nother thing yeah yeah it's amazing i'll just say in closing one other thing i have to tell you i'm very interested in uh, dr walsh's work uh you know in the methylation process i mean i've spent some time with him we'll we'll talk more about that later but uh 
one of the things that comes up, I just was not, you've probably been interested in pyrols for a long time, but yeah, I've been interested in that for about the last year. And it's just amazing because you see these odd reactions to what would be a thoughtful, should be predictable outcome. And then they've got these other things going on that just were not, not predictable. And you had to measure them to find out what they are. Yeah, well, one of the things I, I do when I see somebody is I do a physical exam. And one of the things, uh, particularly in adolescents, you know, you look at their nails, see if you see these white spots, because that'll tell you the zinc deficiency. And, and then you wonder about the cryptopyrroles and, uh, because, you know, you have a zinc deficiency in that kind of scenario. And then the adolescents, their bones are growing so fast uh, that the bones take all the zinc and the brain doesn't have enough zinc. And, you know, then the serotonin receptors, uh, the, the signaling, serotonin signaling is impaired because you don't, you need zinc to have adequate serotonin signaling. So, so you look at the white spots on their nails and you go, okay, maybe they have a cryptopyrrole problem and they certainly need zinc. And, uh, you know, there's, there's all these things that you're, you're aware of that I'm aware of that people who go into their docs for whether it's psychiatric, emotional stuff, or other, it, these things need to be looked at. Bob, you are so right. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your being with us this afternoon. And what are, we're going to have all the links for all of your books right there on the show notes. And we're going to encourage people to hook up with you and follow. I'm, I'm very interested in the uh, presentations that you do for the public. Uh, that, that'd be a very interesting thing. Do you run that through Blog Talk Radio, or how do you actually uh, No, we record here. We have on our website, uh, we have a few websites, but the whole psychiatry, like Whole Foods, mm -hmm. whole psychiatry websites, 200-page yep. 200 website. We have video lectures. We have, uh, I don't know, 30 radio shows. We have like 30 lunch and learns, you know, articles. There's a lot of, a lot of resources there. And uh, then we have uh, the DRH Rejoint website also. Um, but there's a, you know, a lot of stuff for people to uh, sort through. And we leave it up there. We hope it's helpful. I'm sure it is. It's, that, it's helped me out. I just went over there the other day and found out you know, some additional stuff. could see where we really are connected in a lot of ways. So thank you so much again, Bob. I've said that a couple of times, that there's always more to talk about. You're a guy that we can't end the conversation with. <laughs> so I look forward to another time that we can talk. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk soon, Bob. It's a pleasure, Chuck. Take care. Thanks All right, buddy. for having me. You have a good one. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.